What a beautiful song. Amen. The old rugged cross. Happy New Year. I was thinking while, we were saying, while Jordan was leading us in the Jesus is Lord song, I love that song, I was thinking, you know, at Easter time when we say he is risen, and we repeat, he's risen indeed, we should start the new year with Jesus is Lord and then shout, he's my Lord. I'm trying to spread something new. <laughs> well, so this morning, we're back in the book of Zechariah, and we're going to be in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to that, that book, that chapter. And this morning, we're going to be talking about leadership. Leadership. So I'm going to start our, our service this morning with some quotes, some leadership quotes. I'm going to start with one from Bill Hybels. Uh, he wrote a book called Courageous Leadership, and he put this quote in there. It says, you're a leader. It's your job to keep your passion hot. Do whatever you have to do. Read whatever you have to read. Go wherever you have to go and stay fired up. And don't apologize to anybody. That's pretty intense. That's, that's a pretty intense leadership quote. We got another one. Jim Rowan says, the challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but don't be a bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. And Vince Lombardi, American football coach, NFL executive, says, leaders are made, they are, are leaders are made, they are not born. They are made by hard effort, which is the price which all of us must pay to achieve any goal that is worthwhile. This morning, we are talking about leadership, and everyone and their dog is talking about leadership. Leadership quotes, leadership strategies, leadership huddles. We have TED Talks, roundtables, and development plans. The goal? To be the best, to be quoted, to be on top, to be in charge, the go-to person, the top dog. Ever notice they don't say top cat? Just saying. CEO, CFO, COO, senior pastor, elder, deacon, leader, shot caller, delegator, rule maker, money maker. Make a song out of this. Leaders are made. Leaders are bold. Leaders do what others fail to do. And I could go on all day, literally. You can leave, have some lunch, go switch to LA, have a nap, come back, and I'll be like, and leaders are this. And then leaders said that. Since the moment I was saved, I was in a development plan, and so are you. The danger and why many fall short of reaching their full potential is not because leadership development is evil, but the heart and motivation behind reaching such positions can be. And this morning in Zechariah 11, he's going to call us out. He's going to call us out as leaders inside the church and leaders for Christ, and he's going to call out the world. He's going to make it plain, and he's going to lay bare the secrets of real leadership. So over the last few weeks, I've been studying this chapter, chapter 11. There's 17 verses, and I believe that the first three verses actually set the tone for the rest of the chapter. So we're going to do a little bit of an inductive Bible study for the first three, and then we'll let the rest flow. So out of the, out of the 17 passages, I've developed a sermon pathway that you may have received when you walked in. So the points that we will be covering today are titled Train and Failing, verses 1 through 3, and then we take a bigger chunk of 4 through 14 called calling and quitting, and then 15 to 17, you ask for this, and then we'll wrap it up in the red with the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for this new year. We declare you as Lord, my Lord. God, we love you so very much, and we look forward to what you're going to do this morning 
and this evening as we come back to study your word. God, I pray that you would put a, a passion in our hearts this morning. I pray that we would act like Jeremiah. When we try not to speak about you, it's like a fire shut up in our bones. That we need to just say, Jesus is everything. God, I pray that there would be a, a revelation in our lives that there are things in the way that need to go so that you can take the place. So I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that no word would fall to the ground and that you would help us to know and understand. We love you so very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to pick up the ancient word in Zechariah 11. I'm going to read the first three verses, do a little inductive Bible study with you, and then we'll get on with the rest. Let's read God's word together. So in the ancient word, we hear this opening statement, open your doors, Lebanon, so that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, you juniper, for the cedars have fallen, the stately trees, oh, they're ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, the dense force has been cut down. Listen to the wail of the shepherds, their rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lion. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. What is going on in that passage? That was the first question I asked when I began to study this. Well, we open up uh, our section here, and Zechariah starts with this statement, open up your doors. And my first question with this open up your doors, is this an invitation or a command? It's a good question. Because if we go back one chapter to chapter 10, and we're reading through, and this is a wonderful chapter. If you haven't read it, go read it today, this afternoon, after Swiss Chalet, after your nap, read it, then come to DC Group. Read chapter 10, and it's all about the power of God, the great shepherd, the good shepherd who leads his people, and he's going he's gonna to do these things for them. It's a beautiful chapter. And then we get into chapter 11 with open your doors. Take a moment with me to go back to chapter 10, verse 10. He's talking about his people, and he says, I will bring them back from Gilead and Lebanon, and there will be no more room for them. Gathering God's people in. So we read that, and we, we can easily think that this is an invitation, but that's not what's happening. It's actually a command. See, we're tempted to think that this is just a gathering place for God's people, for chapter 10 is all about the promises of God and how he's going to redeem his people. But no, open your doors is not a safe haven. It's not a sanctuary city. It's a place for judgment, judgment by fire. So that's the first thing we need to know and understand, that God sometimes not only gives us invitations, but he gives us commands. And this is a command to open your doors because something is about to happen. Well, what is that? What's going to happen? Well, we read some words in this, in the first three verses. One word, fire. Another word, cutting down. In the ESV, it's felid. And what are these things? These are, these are tools. These are instruments, instruments used for judgment. God uses different things to bring about judgment. And one of the things that God often uses throughout the Bible is fire. We can go to the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 7, by the same word that present the heavens and the earth. They are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction for the ungodly. So open up your doors. Judgment is coming. It's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. It says, fire may devour that your cedars have fallen. It goes on in, in verse 2 to say that the forest is cut down. And that in 3, it says rich pastures, they're destroyed. It says in 3 also that the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. What is going on here? 
Well, it is possible that the regions of Lebanon and Bashan were guilty of particular wrongs against the Israelites. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is God is going to stand against those proud ones who are leaders, and he's going to bring them down a peg. Lebanon cedars and the oaks of Bashan and the pine trees, these are all impressive trees. These are the best of the best when it comes to trees, and people of that area knew of these trees. These were trees elite, often used as a symbol for pride. What's going to happen to them? They're going to be burned. They're going to be chopped. They're going to be laid bare. See, Zechariah calls our attention not only to open your gates, open your gates, open your doors so that fire may come, but the implication of the judgment is going to cause a lot of harm for those who are there in that place. And he talks about the shepherds. He calls our attention to the shepherds wailing and the roar of the lions as an indication of leaders being judged. Lions, predators will have no more hunting grounds or protection to plan their attack. Shepherds exploiting the ones that are called to protect will wail and scream and cry because their sheep will be taken away. Judgment is coming. Judgment against leaders. See, leadership can be a lonely walk when no one is following anymore. God begins this section with a shot at leaders saying, you can't hide among the trees. Or in, any, in other words, in today's context, you can't hide behind your initials. You can't hide behind your degrees. You can't hide behind your social media platforms, your popularity, your family, your legacy. There is no safe position. And there is no safety in your position when you are coming against God. When it comes to leadership today, we train well, don't we? We invest, we spend time, we spend money, and when it's done right, the results are very impressive. But take warning. Our world has a leadership idolatry problem. What we do is we always go to the top. We look for the top to solve our problems. We, we want their opinions. How the how-tos, the next steps, the people with the plans. But like the cedars of Lebanon, strong, impressive, known can fall. There is a connection in verse 1 with the word devour or consumed in the ESV and the word ruined in verse 3. Sometimes when it comes to leadership, we invest, we pour in, and, and it looks good, you're doing the right thing, but if we take our eyes off Christ as a church and as an individual, all that hard work can be cut down and laid bare. And that's what Zechariah wants to draw our attention to. He says, leaders are strong. They're solid, impressive, but because of sin, they can fall. For us here this morning, there's a fine line in the leadership development mandate, a leadership discipleship mandate that can go from all about God to all about me and my platform and what I want. It's a scary thing, and it's happening all around us. Leaders all over the world, inside the church and outside the church, continue to pursue self-righteousness over self-sacrifice. Self we see leaders today on social platforms that they're, they're known really well in their communities. And what they do is they'll, they'll come out with this statement, this little video log or this little blog or this little Facebook post. And what they'll do, they'll, they'll put this thing up that kind of sounds like our faith. It kind of sounds like our doctrine, doctrine, but it's slightly off. We see this all the time. They're talking about like, well, did Jesus really die on the cross for our sins? That sounds like child abuse to me. 
And what that will do is a little blood in the water will cause us as, as conservative Christians to freak out, including myself. That's wrong! And I run over there with my, my chit-chatting and my fingers going, and, and that's not right. That's not right doctrine. And what I've come to learn is they don't care about the truth. They don't care about correction. They care about their likes. They care about people jumping on their platform. They're, they care about people engaging so that their popularity will grow. Pastors are doing this. Teachers are doing this. People inside the, in the church, outside the church. A little blood in the water will cause the Christian leaders to freak out and respond. The end goal is not what is true, but where I stand socially at the end of this whole dilemma. Three t- these types of leaders are not pursuing Christ and his truth, truth. They're searching for that ladder of popularity. They're looking for ways to hitch their ladder to the right thing so that they will grow in status. And this is very biblical. For centuries, people have been doing this to Jesus. Let me show you. One of the great byproducts of Jesus is not just salvation, but social restoration. If we go into the Bible, we go into the New Testament, we come to passages in Mark about, uh, about social restoration. One example in Mark 10, 46, for the reference for you, if you want to look at it right now, because I'm going to say a little bit of the story. There's this man, and his name's Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus has an issue. He can't see. He's blind. They call him blind Bartimaeus. And because he is blind, he can't work, really, so he, he's a beggar. A beggar who sits on the street corner outside the temples asking for food, asking for money. And then one day, Jesus comes to town, and blind Bartimaeus hears about it. And blind Bartimaeus, he doesn't stay quiet. He yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And what happens if you read the story? The people that were around, that were watching Jesus, that were trying to get up close in today's day and age, trying to get that selfie with Jesus, trying to draw in. What do they do? The scripture says, blind Bartimaeus. Be quiet. Be quiet. He doesn't care about you. The, ra- the rabbi, the teacher, be quiet. Shut up. Blind Bartimaeus just dismisses it. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears, and he goes over, and he restores him, gives him back his sight. Read it. When Jesus starts to address blind Bartimaeus, the people turn their tone. It's like, oh, the rabbi's talking to you. Oh, you must be important. And he goes from outcast to dancing down the street with Jesus. It's one of the great byproducts of Jesus is when you come into his life, when he comes into your life, he restores you, he gives you new life, but he gives you new position in kingdom. And people say, whoa, if he's going to do that for that beggar, that blind guy, what can he do for me? I love Jesus too. What is he going to do for me? And it's a scary, a scary, deviant Switch over to the, proclam- or to the gospel of, uh, um, let me think of it, prosperity. Sometimes we don't like to say that, but it's a gospel prosperity. It's what can I get? Because Jesus is my Lord, I get things. Not only do we see that there, but also when Jesus was in town, he would go in and pray and heal and Back in that day, if you had a skin disease called leprosy, the the rule from Leviticus was to go to the high priest. You go to the high priest, and they would deem you clean or unclean. If you're clean, you get to go back home. If you're unclean, you get to leave the city, and you have to stay in the lonely places, and you have to beg. And while the skin disease takes over your body, 
One of the social aspects of that was when anybody was coming into the city and you wanted to ask for food, you first had to take your finger and put it under your nose and tell, the, tell those people or tell the crowd, I am unclean. Could you imagine coming into church this morning? Praise Jesus, I'm unclean. People are like, oh my. He's unclean. I'm unclean. And we have this picture of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. He comes in, and what does he do? He embraces them. Some of these people in these lonely places may have had this disease for a long time. They've, they haven't had a hug. They haven't been embraced. And Jesus, the Savior, he comes in, and he says to them, I will take this disease. You can go back into the city. What? I can go back in? Yeah, go present yourself to the high priest. You mean I can go in? I don't have to put my finger under my nose and yell, I'm unclean. Not anymore. You're not unclean. And the people of that day would see that and they would say, oh, Jesus, he's amazing. And we have that one story where Jesus kind of calls out the crowd saying, you don't follow me because I'm your Lord. You follow me because I gave you bread. He calls them right out on it. And we have this epidemic happening. See, when we see this, the true lover of Jesus, we see compassion. This is our God. This is what he does. But to others, this is an ultimate way for self-glorification. He did that for that beggar. What can he do for me? Please take this warning from the word. Leaders who attach themselves to God and have hearts that are far from him, they will be exposed. There is no such thing as faking it till you make it in the kingdom of God. You're either for Jesus or you're not. Look at how beautiful the cedars are, the pine trees, the oaks, and how strong they are. They are the pride of our community. How they provide shelter for the lions are gone. All the training on a false foundation may look good on paper or a social platform or your service to the church or nonprofit. It may impress people, but it means nothing in kingdom stature, currency, and position. Let me show you from God's word. We're going to move, in, move on to our second point, which is calling it quits. This is where we pick up our, our prophet in chapter or verse 4. And let me just say, I'm a fan of the Old Testament. Let me just say, if you're not a fan of the Old Testament, come talk to me. We need a chit-chat. Because the Old Testament is super important to our faith. A lot of us like to hang out in the New Testament, which is awesome. But we really don't really, we really can't fully understand the New Testament if we don't read the Old Testament. Because that's where it's a continuation. What happened in the Old Testament really matters. So let's go there. And this morning, you're going to see a chart on the, on the screen, and it's called the symbolic actions of the prophets. And I found five prophets in the Old Testament that were called upon to act out certain scenes. And I'm going to act out some scenes today, a little drama, a little role play. Hope that's okay with you. See, these prophets were called to do all kinds of crazy things, to teach valuable lessons about God. We have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and, and Zechariah. God had chosen prophets in the past to act in a way that revealed the character of God and the plans of God. And sometimes God would go to the extreme to get people's attention. If you look at the chart, you'll see Isaiah walks naked through Jerusalem. <laughs> That's pretty intense. You want me to do what? I don't want to do that. Do it. Jeremiah ruined, ruined loincloth and so on and so on. And then you get to the bottom of that, you're going to see that Zechariah acts out the role of a shepherd. And that's where we pick up verse 4. Verse 4 in, our, in our, our scripture says, this is what the Lord God says, pasture, pasture, 
the flock marked for slaughter. And he goes on to say the buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. So he's talking about these leaders that are around who are supposed to be leaders, supposed to be pastors, and they go unpunished. Well, they think they're going to go unpunished, and they slaughter the flock. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord. That's how I read it. Praise the Lord. We are rich. Praise the Lord. I am rich. The own, their own shepherds, catch that, underline that, circle that, highlight that. Their own shepherds did not spare them. So God acts. He says, for I no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will hand every one of them to their neighbor and his king. They will oppress the land, and I will not rescue them from their hands. So I pastured the flock marked for slaughter. Verse 4 is a calling of Zechariah to the office of shepherd. A, sh- a calling, but the sheep are marked for slaughter. Can you imagine that conversation? I want you to be a pastor. I think I should be a pastor. Good, because I got a job for you. Do you got your Bible? Got my Bible. Do you got your Bible degree? Yes, I do. Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this church, and I want you to be their shepherd. And you will get paid, but you will bear no fruit in this ministry. The people will rebel. They will gripe and complain. They will go against your leadership, and eventually you'll say, I had enough. I'm out. I'm calling it quits. Are you ready for this? That's what Zachariah is called to do. He's called to go in and and act like a shepherd. And the people rebel against him. We think about this. Being a pastor is hard work. It's not easy. But there's some who think like, wow, this is the best job ever. Like, I get paid for this? And then they get into the ministry and it's hard. So they're like, am I really called? Should I really do this? Like, people are mean. God's people are mean. They're rude sometimes. And God is saying here that there are leaders who are in churches all over the world who do not care for the people. They care about their position, but they do not care about the people. And some of them will praise God, shouting, we've become rich. Well, in today's culture, pastors don't get paid a salary that will make you rich. But they get rich in status, book deals. I got a jet. They got pastors who are on TV. They they do this a lot. I don't know what this means, but I'm, I'm hoping to find that out. They got a globe behind them and a stadium full of people. Rich on a popularity scale, but the sheep are not led. The shepherds don't care for the sheep, and the sheep do not change, and they don't, know, they don't grow closer to God. They don't obey, obey. They have sin in their life. Woe to leaders like this. Please take warning of that. We are called as shepherds to lead a certain way. But as we read, not only are leaders called into judgment, but it's a twofold judgment. He'll come after the leaders, he'll judge the shepherds, but he also judges the sheep. He says, I will not have pity on the people. This is what happens to a church where the pastors care about their position, but they don't care about the people. They're not correcting, they're not rebuking, they're not training, and they're not going and doing any of this in righteousness. They're kind of just like, hey, I love my title. What will happen is the sheep will start to fight. Inner turmoil will happen. It says here, right in the scriptures, inner turmoil will begin, infighting, and I know my rights, and I have tradition, and I've been here in this church before you were even born. And that's not the attitude that God wants us to have. And God says, I will hand them over, every one of them. This is a pretty intense warning. See, not only are leaders called into question and dealt with, but also the sheep. Why? Because personal accounts with the Lord. 
I love that God calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. I love that truth because God granted that to me. He gave me that gift to come into his, his flock. Not only am I part of something that is beautiful, the church, his bride, something that he is redeeming and making clean, spotless, but I also have to take into account my own personal walk, and so do you. See, we can hide in the church, but you can't hide personally from Jesus. He sees it, and he's going to talk to you about it. So it's good for us to, to take this warning. So Zachariah does what he's called to do. And he sounds sometimes like younger pastors. We get our gear ready and we get ready for work. And, and he's going in and he gets his staffs. And he says, in the scripture, I have one staff named Favor and I have one staff named Union. And he gets his tools. Here's my staffs for this morning. I brought them to work. I got my boots tied up, my lunch packed tight, and I'm ready for work. Blue is favor. Favor means protection from the nations. It means God is, is with us on this. And with favor, sometimes as a shepherd, we need to be strong and we need to be, uh, we need to be out there. On the f- Someone tries to take our sheep, we need to know how to work this. Don't we? David said lions, tigers, and bears. He'd fight them. Maybe not tigers, but bears he did. And lions. And he would use this to protect the sheep. Don't you touch my sheep. I got a stick. It's a staff. But not only do I have the blue one, I got the black one. You don't want to mess with black one. Because the black one is unity. It means unity between the promised people of God, Judah and Israel, a bind together. We got these together, and I'm going to work. So Isaiah gets ready, and he goes off, and he goes off to work, and he's got his staffs. And what does he do? He cleans house. It says in one month, he got rid of three leaders, three shepherds. He says, I got rid of three shepherds in one month. Zachariah, clean, or Zachariah is cleaning house and getting rid of unfit leaders. But here's the thing. Here's the thing today. You can't just change leadership. You need to, train, you need to teach the truth. Churches who think that they can just get rid of a pastor and bring in another pastor, and they're not training and teaching the truth, making disciples, nothing's really going to change. You can have a pastor who can preach a sermon. You can have a pastor who does a couple hospital visits. But if he really does not care for the sheep, that's what he's drawing our attention to. So I'm ready for work. Here I go. A true leader by today's standards is one who can change hearts, mind, and patterns. But you know what that is? That's just behavior modification with a bumper sticker that says discipleship. Like leaders who think that they can go up to another person and say, listen, I know you're struggling. I, have a, I got 12 steps to help you. A lot of people say that's leadership. That's a joke. Because in God's realm, in God's kingdom, God would come up to that person and says, what, what you got going on here is dead. Is dead. You can't modify dead. So what we need to do is you need to recognize and understand that you're dead. And all these things that you're going to try and do, it's not going to change. It's not going to change how you feel. It may feel good for a little bit, but long term, it's not going to happen. So what you need is you need new life. And I have new life for you. See, true leadership starts when the person can fully understand that there is no hope for their current situation. They are spiritually dead. And then they come to the knowledge of God. They turn from their sin. They receive grace and the Holy Spirit. And then a leader for Christ they may become. See, some churches are all about reporting the numbers of conversions, the number of people who prayed the prayer. And, and the truth is these people are not saved. They're trying to add Jesus in. Here's the thing for us today. We do not get to add Jesus in. 
He's not just something, another product for us. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is different. What happens is Jesus gets to come in. He declares who he is pulling into his kingdom. He declares new soil. He, he plants the seeds. He says, I'm going to grow this and tend this by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, someday I will come and I will harvest you. But your job, daughter, your job, son, obey. Obey. Churches think if you can change the pastor, you change the church, you will have success. Yes, that can happen for a short time. But we need leaders who know the truth, understand the truth, and live for the truth. So Zachariah gets rid of three leaders in one month. Problem solved, right? Wrong. He goes on to say, the flock detested me. And because they detested me, I grew weary of them, he said. And he says, I will not be their shepherd. And he has a bold statement. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Hope revoked, calling it quits. He says, then I took my staff called favor. My blue staff. The one I, uh, I use for protection. And I'm thinking about my people and I think about the way they treat me. And they're testing me. And I'm out here. I feel like I'm killing myself someday, some days, to block them, and they don't care. So I take my staff, and I break it. And I don't want to do this job anymore, and I quit. You ever hear of Bread Truck Monday? It's a thing from the past. Bread Truck Monday was a day where most pastors would quit their job, and they'd rather drive a bread truck than preach the gospel. It's an actual thing. It's very sad. So he says that I took my staff called favor and I broke it, revoking the covenant I made with the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so the oppressed of the flock who were watching knew it. They knew it was the word of the Lord. And what does this symbolize, the revoked covenant? It symbolizes the breaking of the staff of favor that he had made with the nations to secure God's providential protection of Israel. The divine disfavor of Israel because of her rejection of the true shepherd resulted in spiritual blindness. Only the believing remnant that was there who witnessed this recognized Jesus as the true Messiah, understood his true origin in God. It's like Zachariah going in and saying, like, okay, I want to meet with HR. I'm going to meet with HR. Yeah, it was fun at first. It was good. Like, I had, my, I, I had favor with me every day. I was protecting. I was blocking. I got rid of three shepherds. Three that were unfit for their job. Did I get any recognition for that? No. But the people, all oh, the people, oy vey, the people, with the neediness, with the, oh, woe is me all the time. He says, I couldn't take it anymore. The quining, the complaining, my needs, with the helping. I look at these other pastors, they got the book deal, they got the this. I'm still trying to figure out what this is. They got the jets. It's like they don't even pass her. It's like they walk up to the stage and walk off and never see the people. And here am I, 50 hours grinding it out in the counseling. He says, I'm not going to do this anymore. You can pay me if you want, but I'm out. Shalom. We read the scriptures. They paid Zechariah 30 pieces of silver. Israel's appraisal of the true shepherd was worth 30 pieces of silver. Did the comp... I did the changeover exchange, like 470 bucks. That's how much our God's worth, 470 bucks. That's the compensation price for a slave gourd by an ox in Exodus 21.32. So that's the choice of the slave price was probably intended as an insult to our shepherd. 
worse than directly refusing to pay him any wage. Throwing this handsome price was obviously a use of irony to the potter shows its trifling worth. The potter was one of the lowest of the laboring, laboring class. See, this prophecy was fulfilled in Judas when he, portrayed, when he betrayed Christ. See, there's a medley of gospel themes here. One day Jesus will come as the good shepherd and he will be challenging all phony, careless, and oppressive leaders. And tragically, he will be rejected by the very people he come to save. And when Judas betrays Jesus to his enemies, he has paid a familiar sum, 30 pieces of silver. So favor is God. I am done. I am done protecting. But then he picks up union. And this is important. Union is the brotherly love. Union was the one where uh, it, it, was, it was a binding of, of the nations of God. God's people should never be divided. God's people should always stick together. And he picks it up and he looks at it and he breaks it. And now both favor and union are broken. Signifying disunity between Israel and Judah who should have been united as God's people. Is anyone confused what's going on here? See, this flock is marked for death. And see, outside the temple, they'd have this little pen where they would bring these sheep and they were going to die. It was just time. They were going to be used as sacrifice. And Zechariah is portraying Jesus as the good shepherd who needed to come and lead the people. And he was all-powerful. And he had everything that was needed. And he was not like these other leaders. These were shepherds would take advantage of the people, but he was different. But the people mistaked his kindness and his grace, and they took advantage of him. And Jesus in the New Testament is found, how, found saying, how long must I put up with this faithful, faithless generation? Beloved, let us not be that generation. Let us take serious the things of God. Let us not run away from our good shepherd because there is consequence for you and for me today if we ignore the good shepherd. This section is a true tragedy. But worse for us if we read all about this and we do the same thing. So we move on. And in verse 15, Zechariah may think he's done. I did my job. I, did a, I was a pastor for a little bit. But then he gets another job calling. He says, the people want to reject me? Okay. It's going to be hard on them. Because not only do I want you to become a shepherd, I want you to become a foolish shepherd. A shepherd that will take full advantage of them. That will really exploit them. Who will really do a number on them? It's like, imagine that. Zachariah is going back to HR. He has to just put it in a context of a job. It's like he goes in and HR standing there. Okay, I got your, I got your resident here. Okay. Zachariah, Zachariah, the crowd. Okay, Zachariah, Zach, little Z, a.k.a. little Z. Is that you? You want us to call you that? Okay. Well, we have your resume here, and it, it seems that you, you've applied for the position of foolish shepherd. Yes, we have that. We have that position available. We are seeking to fill that today. And uh, full of shepherd, and I do see you have some ministry experience. It says you quit. That's okay. We can use quitters. Okay, little Z, have you read the job description? Because if you haven't, this is the time right now where you ask all of your questions. You have to do it right here. Because we at Shepherds, not us, we take a serious approach to exploiting the sheep. And we need you to know and understand that we have a very strict scam rule book 
that will help you and train you to get the full maximum effectiveness of being a foolish shepherd. And I'll go through that with you right now. Are you ready? Okay. I'll highlight a few things, and at the end, if you understand, we'll allow you to initial this, okay? Okay. Well, first, at Shepherds Not Us, you have to completely be... You will complete the following to the very best of your ability. Let me read it here. And if your ability does not meet our standards, we will offer you some training. First thing that we want you to know, as a foolish shepherd, we do not want you to look for or make disciples. Don't do that. Just talk about your position a lot. Do not care, show care, and really do do not even use words that sound like care. Words that sound like care are hair, fair, You can use scare if you use it as a verb. Do not train the children. Imagine them growing up and being like their parents, worshiping the true king. You have to be a foolish shepherd. So no children training, so no Bible studies or Bible teaching or no acting out anything. Just stick electronics in their face. I've been using that for a while. My kid doesn't even know its name. No visitation. Please... No phone calls or helps. Do not care for the teens of, of, of our, our establishment. But you can be that cool guy that really looks good but doesn't really know what he's talking about. We would ask that you would learn words like soteriology, but do not learn how to explain it. Just act like you know it. Shepherds, are, shepherds not us. We do not want to help or show help or offer any help, kind of like the care rule. And here's my favorite you really want to exploit the sheep, really get close, like really select them. Like look out over and say, okay, that one looks rich. That one looks fit. So they have nice clothes and look for the fit ones too. And, and remember, round is a shape. So go to them and ask if you can borrow their stuff, eat their food, get in close with them. Here at Shepherds Not Us, we really throw the shepherd tile around, use it and abuse it. Little Z, do you understand the basic training? Okay, please sign here, initial here, blood sample here, and there'll be a test tomorrow on our corporate motto. We don't make them, we break them. We laugh. But Zachariah was called to be this foolish shepherd, and then we get this warning. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blind. This is a dangerous thing that he is being called to. Be careful, shepherds. Be careful, leaders. It's not all fun and games. It gets real pretty fast. And when I was a kid, I think I had teachers that would tell me, hey, calm down, it's not all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Last week I learned that was biblical. They got that from the Bible. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. Strike his arm and his right eye. You will be held accountable for your ministry. And if you're not a leader for Christ and you're, and you're following after Christ, you will be held accountable for your personal commitment. The warning is against us. So how do we land this plane? Well, if we think in a corporate mindset, which we shouldn't, but we're kind of talking about leadership... Any good company at the year end would want to be in the black. 
We want gains, we want profit, we want training, we want action plans, but I'm here to say that the black means nothing if you're not in the red. The black means nothing if you're not in the red. And you ask, what is the red? Well, the red is the righteousness of Christ. The good shepherd who paid the price for you. Right now, you could be a sheep sitting in the pen waiting for judgment. And as the shepherds would go and they would pick up the sheep, they would think, oh, this is a good sacrifice. This is a nice hefty lamb, hefty sheep. I'm going to use this one. But the good king, the good shepherd, he doesn't think what he's going to get for you. He thinks what he's going to give up for you. And he gave up his life so that you could live and have life in abundance. It's called a great exchange. Going to the shepherd, asking for forgiveness, and turning from a life of me to a life of thee, you will be in the red. And let me tell you, there's nothing that can get you out of the red. So this morning, you're either in the red or you're not. So this is how we land this plane. To those who have heard the message of the gospel, I believe that the Spirit is speaking to you now. I know this, and you'll know this, because the Spirit doesn't make mistakes when he calls us. And all you have to do this morning is respond by praying in your seat quietly, repeating these words, and I'll pray with you now. Let's pray. Jesus, good shepherd, will you be my Lord? Redeem me from the judgment coming my way. Set my feet on solid ground. Train my ears to respond to truth. Equip my hands to serve you. Jesus, I declare and confess that I am a sinner in need of your righteousness. Please save me now and keep me forever in your grace. In Jesus', in Jesus name, amen. If you pray that prayer, you're not just a number to us. You're a real person that we want to walk with, we want to care for. We just don't want to put, your, uh, put you as a, a, a thing to display. We want to walk with you. We pray for you. So I would ask, if you prayed that prayer, please come see one of the pastors at the end. We're going to sing a song in a moment. But what do we do about the people who are already in the red? For us here, who are starting 2019, what do we do? Well, I believe there's some things that we are called to do as well. For us who have been walking with Jesus, we are called to make disciples, but we're also called to be a disciple. Are you a, dis are you a disciple? Would you declare that for this season? I'm a disciple of Jesus. I come after Jesus. I follow in the ways of Jesus. Make plans to work on your personal and public portfolio of discipleship this 2019 season. And what that looks like is come to church. Be a part of the body. Come tonight to D.C. Even if it's your first time, we will have a great welcoming place for you. Come. Because in Sunday morning, we don't get to say everything we want to say. But we get to dig deep, get personal. Wrestle with the text in our DC groups. And we're praying that you would come tonight and do that. It's our first one. It's going to be great. Not also that, but that you would serve. Use your gifts to serve and love others well. And I want to end with this as we go to, go to sing. Go to worship our Lord. Please hear my heart on this. I don't say this pridefully. But here at Calvary, we have shepherds. We have shepherds that care about you and we will not give up on you. So please don't give up on us. With love, let's pray. Father, we love you so very much and we're so thankful for your grace here today. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of worship to you, a song of praise. We just pray that you would draw close to us. God, knowing that you know every heart, every situation, every hurt that may be in this room, 
every heart that is beating fast because of the scripture. God, I pray that you would draw close to them at this moment. God, I pray that also we would be found faithful in the teaching of your word, that we would also be found faithful in the service of your church. God, I pray even today, we have to pray because we have not, because we ask not. I ask that you would move in hearts today so that people would get involved in the body that they are called to. So I pray even tonight that there would be an abundance of people who have never been to DC Group show up so that we can do life together. Lord, we love you so very much. We start this year off saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Jesus, our Lord, commands the highest praise, and rightfully so. It was he who was able to drink the cup for us on our behalf. May this 2019 season be a season for us as a church to declare Jesus as Lord of our lives. Your pastors will be down front if you would like some prayer. Hope to see you back tonight as we do life together. Amen.